Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. This episode is also brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy, leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. Just tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes and you can then save it to your phone and share it on social media. The app is available for the iPhone and Android and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. Thanks everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. Hey everybody, this is Matty Kay with the Working Experience Podcast. This week I sat down with my friend Matt. Uh, Matt works in the insurance industry and has many fascinating tales about how it all works on the inside and also his kind of uh, off-the-wall co-workers. Enjoy listening. Thanks. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. Just stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my biscuits? Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was living his toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody. It's Maddie K, and I am here with my friend Matt. Hello. Um, little background. I've uh, known Matt for probably, we don't see each other that much, but I've known you for probably going on 25 years now, something like that. Yeah, that's it. All right. Yeah. Um, so full disclosure, I graduated from college with Matt's older brother, Tony, who uh, made a very early appearance. Uh, one of our first 10 episodes, I think. Um and uh, 
had some pretty good stories. You know, some of them bathroom related, bit scatological. Uh, I'd like to say we've upped our game since then, but we really haven't. So uh, we know where we swim. We know our audience. So uh, you know, Matt. Uh, so you um, you work for a an insurance company. Yes. Okay. Yes. And basically, my entire career, I've worked for a, a handful of different insurance companies. I'm based in the kind of Connecticut area, so that's that's one of the biggest games in town, so to speak. You know, Hartford at one point, I don't know if it still is or not, was the insurance capital of the world. It's not a, not the capital of really much of anything. But, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, some opportunities there in terms of employment. So that's, yeah, now 20 years into my career and change, that's, yeah, that's where I've spent my time. So... Um... Working in an insurance company, you uh, you go into the office. Uh, now, you work from home primarily now, correct? I do now. It's kind of been an evolution over the years and different, you know, so obviously worked in insurance, had a heavy finance angle within that through most of my career, did some different jobs, you know, in, in terms of how exciting they were, how dry they were. I can get into that a bit if we want to. Um, but then over the progression, so, you know, graduating college in 1998, Going down, you know, sort of the the advent of, of more connectivity and internet type accessibility has allowed for more flexibility. It's kind of going from full time in the office all the time, coming in in blizzards and snowstorms because it was you know early in the year for financial reporting purposes um, and working to be done. To now being full time work at home, occasionally going in the office as needed has been kind of a yeah progression over two decades really. So. Uh you know, going back to your office days, like you would go into the office, what's like a, a typical day, 9am, whatever it is, like how, how do things get rolling over there? Well, so, so then, you know, back then I was in a, what I would describe as a financial reporting role. So think of like a annual report, you know, um, press release type of you know, information from a finance perspective, go in, the workload would vary by the time of year based on when, you know, financial statements were available and needed to be distributed publicly. Um, but the work day, you know, would consist of just, you know, in a cubicle, surrounded by cubicles, you know, more senior people might have a higher wall cubicle, uh, you know, offices, things like that. Um, but then just, you know, sitting in front of a computer all day, crunching numbers or writing disclosures. And then, you know, part of that too that I was alluding to was, you know, you'd be at a desktop in front of your computer. Um, but a lot of the reporting for, say, a you know, a financial reporting perspective is done in the early part of the year that follows, which is, you know, Connecticut can have some, some unpleasant winters. And we'd end up working Saturdays, a general rule, in the months of January and February just because work needed to be done. So, you know, there could be a blizzard on a Saturday morning and you'd come in. There'd be no one else on the road and it would be miserable because there'd be a foot of snow coming down. But there was no other option. There was a narrow window of time in which the work had to be done before, you know, it had to be uh publicly distributed and, and that was that so it was a it was a different mix so um how long did you spend working like when you had to go into the office on a regular basis i would say you know there it varied by time of year you know sometimes in the summers because i was a quieter time it would be kind of a straight 40 hours nothing terrible um you know on like you know quarterly cycles year-end cycles like that yeah, would, you know, again, by, say, tech standards, nothing terrible, but you, you know, you'd be there, oh, probably 60, maybe 70 hours a week for, for a couple months out of the year. But then, you know, you try to sort of find some balance in the quieter times if you could, you know, being in the summer or something like that. 
So how many years did you do that for? So I did that for five years, uh, that kind of you know corporate finance type function. Then I switched to another uh, insurer. So I kind of bounced around. That was property casualty insurance, so like automobile, homeowners, you know, similar type of stuff. Uh, then I went to a health insurer where I did for a time kind of internal management reporting. So it was around various metrics that were maybe not that interesting either, depending on the audience, where it was, you know, claim and claim processing, call metrics, things like that, which I felt was pretty dry stuff too. I was just, I mean, I put in, you know, a couple more years there. Um, but then actually from that point, and then again, some flexibility, that particular uh, employer kind of allowed some, some dabbling in work from home arrangements as needed. But it was still something that was very foreign to me. Um, at one point, actually, I remember, and now in hindsight, it seems ridiculous, where I had a herniated disc in my back, could barely walk and move, and I felt compelled to, and I couldn't even dress myself aside from like breakaway trash cans. I felt compelled to come in and get the monthly report out to the boss that showed, you know, whatever, uh, that people were on hold for 10 seconds on average or something. The breakaway pants, that's, a, that's an interesting image. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very professional look, and people obviously knew something was horribly wrong. I actually remember barely being able to pick my leg up high enough to step over a speed bump in the parking lot because my back was structurally in such poor shape. But I, I felt like you know the world needed to know those metrics, so I made it. Yeah, I basically came in, did the work, and then uh, did some Larry Bird type stretches laying on the floor, and then made my way home again. But uh, yeah, at the time, a work from home arrangement was not something that I was familiar with. Yeah, I mean, I, I know um, one other guy who uh, works for a large telecommunications company, and he has switched over, I think, primarily to working from home. And, you know, he, he talks about the kind of ups and downs of it, like, it, you know, it's, it's good in a way that obviously you don't have to leave your home and the commute's nice and all that. But he also said it is kind of strange not like seeing anybody like they used to go out for drinks and yeah. stuff like that. And now it's like, no, nobody really does that anymore. Yeah. It's a different mix. And it's funny because there's, there's a whole range of like interpersonal relationships in the office and quirky things that go on in a given office where, especially when you're working long hours and, and, uh, yeah, you, you get some wacky situations there from time to time, but then you, you still have some, but then more so like now with the other end of the spectrum, I probably get more work done because I have fewer interactions, but it's definitely a different experience. I'm home the majority of the time, about a day a week. On average, maybe a shade less. I end up in a, you know, a nearby office in my current role. So there's still some interaction, but um, yeah, there's effectively no commute. There, I must on a lot of calls where I'll work with someone for you know months at a time and still not even know what they look like because I end up in one of a handful of offices and they don't happen to be there. So I won't even know what they look like until I introduce themselves or I hear their voice and then put two and two together who that actually is, which is kind of an odd existence. Yeah. Well, we were, um, I mean, th this podcast definitely swims in that area of quirky things or, or sometimes go well beyond quirky into the psychopathic oh, things. Yeah. Uh, my friend John up here had this great story about a guy he worked with who was very, very tall. He was like six foot seven, something like that. Really tall, an older guy, um, really into lunar eclipses. And he would talk <laughs> at... That's a niche hobby. Yeah, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah, to the point where he would take his vacation days to go to like Japan, China, wherever one was happening. 
he'd oh, go. Wow. And he would talk at length. Like if he if if he were allowed to get into that lane, you were in for a while being spoken to. But that wasn't even the, the best thing. The best thing was he would go into the break room area, which John described as very, very small, like a sink, uh, a refrigerator. And he would take off his shoes and socks and he would place his bare foot on the edge of the sink and cut his toenails. Oh my lord! Into the sink. Oh. And I said that that is a clear act of aggression. <laughs> like that is yeah, that's, that's crossing many a line. Although I've not not that I've done that, but I mean I I remember some mishaps. Like not to get too far afield on this, but at one point I remember having you know being at that point yeah because it was my first like major employer must have been in my early twenties, and I had gotten you know. I, I forget how I ended up with it. Like my my girlfriend at the time had gone to a, a Tupperware party. I'd gotten some Tupperware set, um, and then you know I had like a set. You know, and I didn't have much in the way of Tupperware. So then, at one point, you know, like one of the more usable sizes went missing, uh, and then I happened to come across it in the fridge at work, and I was like, "Son of a bitch! This is someone stole my Tupperware." <laughs> so, so I. I I ended up taking that and then just like tasting the food because I figured, well, if I'm going to take the food, I might as well see what it is. And I was like, yeah, it's, food. it's not that good. And so so then um, this is going to sound awfully petty. But the, so then I was like, all right, I'm taking my container home. And so then I you know give it. And then someone puts a note in the and I'm completely default in the story. I'll, as you'll soon find out. So then I take the stuff home. You know, I take the container. I'm like, all right, great, got my container back. So wait, wait, you you took the you took the container with the existing food in it? Because well, I figured if I'm taking my container back and this person has clearly stolen it, I might as well at least taste their food to see what it is, which I didn't care for anyway. It was like pasta. True enough. And, you know, it was some sauce. And so I was like, so I threw out the food, took my took what I thought was my container home. But I guess it was a fairly common Tupperware style set, as I discovered later. And I realized, oh, my girlfriend at the time had apparently actually like put something as leftovers in that equivalent size container from our house. And given it to a friend who we saw like a month or two later said, oh, here's your container. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, son of a bitch. Well, now I have two. But in the interim, there was a note posted on the fridge that someone had stolen the the container and the food. And that, this was, in, 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 like I said, this was in the interim, so I hadn't gotten the container back yet. So someone had stolen the container, which I thought was a pretty bold move. Like you're accusing, you're now mad that the container was stolen when you stole it in the first place. How dare you? Wow. And so then, and they wanted it back, but really what they wanted was, the, in particular, the food because it was uh, their wife's uh, homemade sauce. Oh, my pasta. God. So I proceeded to write on the note, the food wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> Did not return the container, thinking, I obviously have the, the moral high ground on this. This is a stolen container. It is returned to its rightful owner. Like, this guy's got a lot of nerve. And then I subsequently realized, yeah, the guy uh, just, yeah, I, I, I stole his container, threw out his wife's food, and uh, and basically shit on the idea of it even being tasty. So that was. So yeah. not only did you steal the man's Tupperware and throw his wife's food away, you then insulted the food on the note. Right, because I felt like, wow, this 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 is yeah, this is where I came from. You know, wow, this person's got a lot of. I can only imagine, in hindsight. Because I felt like this person's got a lot of nerve stealing the container and telling me they want the food. And they can't believe someone else took it. 
And I'm sure that guy was thinking, well, I ultimately realized it was later. I was not a fan of him regardless. So I, I still sleep well at night. But, um, <laughs> I can really imagine his perspective going, this guy really is an asshole. He's taking the food in the container, then saying the food sucked after I've already essentially, you know, hyped up that it's my wife's special recipe. <laughs> and then this, so not please on all, all, all fronts. Where, where did he back either, but I also never brought in any more of my food in any corresponding Tupperware container with that this blue lid with a little yellow circle you could pop up to allow a steam to come out because I knew he would know it was the same set. So where did he put the note on the refrigerator? Yeah, yep. And you wrote on it your wife's food wasn't that good. Exactly. Wow. After <laughs> so stealing after the man's that, food. So then when 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 my friend returned that container at home, you know, like a couple <laughs> months later, I was just like, oh, boy. okay. There's nothing you can do. At that point, I just couldn't bring him to work for lunch. No, and, and you can't, like, go, like, explain to the guy or anything. No, cause... no, no, there was just no explaining. And it, if it were someone I actually, like, had in higher regard, maybe I would have explained, like, yeah, a funny story, which just still would have been a tough sell. But here I'm just like, nah, fuck this. Yeah, I actually, uh, one school where I was teaching, I, I brought in – into one of the the rooms where you know it's like a break room sort of and uh i brought in like two boxes of triscuits like i specifically did separate shopping to leave food at school so i i go in to get my triscuits and uh the boxes are gone so i am oh no uh, well no here's what happened i i went to open the cabinet where they were in the cabinet was locked and I was really mad. I was trying all, like, there were some little keys lying around that I tried. And I was like, who the hell locked this? So then I, I came in the next day with a screwdriver. And I, I managed to halfway get the cabinet open and bent the lock. So now it's jammed. And now I, you know, it's, it's all a mess. And I, I scratched up the door and everything. And it, it was just a disaster. And um, so I'm still mad i'm like i have two boxes of triscuits in there like you know so then i valuable triscuits uh, very yeah yeah irreplaceable and i thought all right well maybe i can reach around the other cabinet maybe you can sort of get through and they were not even in the locked cabinet they were in the open cabinet that was next to it that why would i bother looking in there i don't know why not go right so then a memo goes around about this like destruction of property <laughs> one of the one of the you know break rooms and and there was a note left and you know I don't know why anybody would do this and da da I mean all that was in there was like plastic plates and n- nothing to really yeah, merit yeah so there was that one and then I was looking cuz they have security cameras around and I thought all right, I'm going to be on security camera. They're going to be watching this. Like a month later, it's going to come up. I was kind of on eggshells yeah, for yeah, a while, cool. thinking that, you know. But, what I mean, yeah, the, the Tupperware thing is classic. And it is amazing how, like, I, I did research one time on the notes that people leave in the refrigerators at work. And it's like, you took two of my Hot Pockets. I oh, enjoy... Yeah these hot pockets and it was demanding repayment of like $4 and 32 cents and slide it under the door of my office. I'm like, first of all, who, who eats hot pockets? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. People get amazingly, um, very petty, very ter- territorial. Yeah. Cause I remember at one point someone had like put a leftover cheesecake in the fridge and then someone, they, they had it for like a, 
you know, I guess they were planning to have some more of it later, but, but then I went over to a guy's desk and he had four, it was four slices of cheesecake, which comprised like more than a quarter of a sizable cheesecake. It might have been half a cheesecake and was eating that as like a lunch. I thought this guy is <laughs> like, you know, like you would think it was the only food left on earth. And I'm going, that's a, that is a lot. That is very, that is a rich meal right there. He was eating, four, he four took four like, slices? Like cheesecake. I'm like, no, that, that guy over there is the only person to have touched it and he consumed everything you've seen that's gone since. He ate four slices of cheesecake. Yeah, and they weren't like they were like cheesecake factory size, like like a, one serving is like fifteen hundred calories. It was like six thousand calories of cheesecake. I don't understand. I, I yeah, like one time a uh, an email went out. This was like I don't know a couple of months ago. I was after, there after school doing some work, and um, you know it's like hey, there's leftover pizza down in the in the break room. If anybody wants it, so I was like, oh, I'll go down. Yeah, it's about like three o'clock, and not that many people left around. So I go down. And there's this guy, he's a teaching assistant, he's packing up the last three slices. I'm like, you know, he sees me come in, and right. he's like, oh, hey, I, yeah, I just oh, grab some for the road. I'm like, come on, man, the last three? I mean, obviously someone's going to get the last one, but... Right, right. But three, yeah, three's a bold move. Yeah, yeah. And he's the same guy who's, like, trying to sell some table. He has, like, a picture in the break room that's been up yeah he's trying to sell some table for like a hundred dollars i'm like what are you a gypsy or something like what is all this yeah when i was working in that you know in that uh financial reporting role and then that was the big perk he came in a saturday morning like the boss would bring in bagels and donuts but then as the day crept on that was just of it too depending on where you were in the cycle like say you were in the, in the the accounting portion of it or, or doing the write-ups, like data would become available. So as as the weeks from, say, mid-January through February went on, you know, into March, you know, different people in different subsets of the team would have more work, but they felt like it was good for morale for everyone in the whole department to be there throughout the whole process. So they'd go there and really not have much to do. Like it, one part of the department in the, you know, say January would have little work because their stuff wasn't actually like fully baked to work on. And then if you were in the department working heavily then, by the time it was February, you would pass that, you know, your contributions over the other area, but you were still supposed to come in. So I remember distinctly being there and, you know, they would bring in bagels and donuts. You'd have a breakfast and I'd be thinking, I don't have that much to do here. Maybe I can cut out around lunchtime and then it would get to be like one, two o'clock. I eat like another bagel, maybe another donut. What's on? And you're determining how many meals are you going to subsist on because you were just hoping to leave and have a real meal. But you go, ah, I don't feel like leaving and getting food and coming back because then you're like more committed to stay. So it just be you know, by 3 p.m. You're on like you know however many donuts and bagels you've had is the only thing you've had all day. It's just a miserable existence. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like such a good idea at eight o'clock in the morning, but by the time like you get around one or two o'clock, it's no, it's no good. And so, I mean, I went from that role over the years to this other company that was more flexible, but I still wasn't ready to sort of embrace that flexibility, like I said, even when I was hurt. And then I, I basically left that company after a few years, um, and then I went to another insurer, which kind of focused more on, so I went from property casualty insurer, still in finance, um, to a health insurer, still in finance, to um, a life insurer, still in finance where they had a little flexibility, but not as much. 
Um, and then after a tour there, and we're talking multiple years at each, came back to the same health insurer. And then by that point, was pretty accustomed to the flexibility. Was in a finance role for some time before switching to more of a, uh, a business strategy type of role where the occasional work from home flexibility was, look, you're aligned to other geographic regions in the country. We're not concerned with you being in the home office. You might as well just be aligned to literally your home and come in the office for meetings and whatever else there, you know, notable leadership meetings, things like that. And it's been, a, a, yes, a totally down the spectrum. But again, you know, I, I, you know, hour per hour basis. Yeah, I'm not commuting and I pretty much am able to just kind of, I can, and I can work various hours, you know, without an issue, obviously laptop instead of desktop. Um, but it's been a mix because even when I went, it's like when I was occasionally working from home, I wouldn't really plan it particularly well. And I would just kind of scavenge through my kitchen and have cereal for lunch. And so when I went full-time work at home, that was it too. I was, I was just eating cereal and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and leftovers. And I kind of finally embraced it. So I need to establish some sort of structure. So I'm not just, you know, yeah, I have to kind of map things out a little better because that was sort of like committed to, which was an adjustment in itself too. Now, I mean, are you supposed to be like online or whatever at a certain time? I mean, generally, you know, I'm at a, at a level where, you know, especially since a lot of what I line to is like folks in New York City and Northern Jersey who tend to come in a little later, I can kind of show up anytime and log in, but I mean, probably eight, nine-ish. I mean, I, I can still be later than that if I wanted to, but that's when things start actually kind of happening. I may drop off a little earlier than some of the folks that are physically in the office, but then log in a little bit again after dinner or after my kids are in bed or something like that, if there's something else that I can get done with. So even though I'm home and not interrupted as much on an interpersonal level, you still get a lot of instant messages, emails, things like that, meetings that just chew up hours out of the day. So sometimes, um, you know, I'll, I'll log back in later just to hammer out some work that I just didn't accomplish during the day itself. But it's easy because it's literally just a different room in your house. So when you say like things start happening, like you log on at eight, nine o'clock, like what, what exactly is going on? Well, well, we're not exactly carrying cancer, but you know, there's meetings and people have questions, you know, emails come in or, or there's just different topics that you're addressing about, um, you know, like in the insert in healthcare, you know, uh, it would be a mix of, of, of the strategy of what we're trying to do with uh, sales to plant sponsors. So those are employers that have insurance coverage for their employees, but through through my my employer, essentially, like I said, it's health insurance. So then um, there could be interactions with brokers that sell that business, uh, members that have issues like, you know, maybe health, uh, like an insurance claim uh, for like a medical procedure, could be interacting with hospital um, network negotiations, speaking with the actuaries, um, tracking down, you know, trying to supplement some things for sale. So I'm kind of a cross-functional role in my current role where I support a lot of different areas and kind of troubleshoot almost as sort of a fixer without having to actually, you know, physically bury any bodies. So people are emailing you, instant messaging you, saying like, look, this has come up, that's come up, and you're, you're yeah. troubleshooting. And there's some standing meetings where, you know, different topics come up that we have, you know, on an ongoing basis. But, uh, yeah, a lot of it is just, you know, some of it is structured reporting that occurs every month or some of it is just pulling a team together to say this issue arose, how are we going to address it? And it's, you know, one person from the legal department, one person from the compliance department, one person from actuarial, you know, um, one from sales, something like that to identify a solution or, or, or you just, you know, address an issue. But 
there's a lot of standing kind of work and in, in different things too, in terms of just recognizing employees. And you know, like I said, I, I, I wear a lot of hats, but it'll be something like, you know, we have some recognition programs for employees when they do a good job or, you know, making sure people are utilizing that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a whole range of things. And, and that's the part of what I like about my current job is there's a lot of variety in it and there's some structure, but enough, um, to keep you busy when we need to, but there's enough, enough variety that different things come up and different challenges. Uh, so when you say you have a meeting, like how does that, what does that look like if you're at home? Like how does that, is everybody logging on to some sort of, uh, I know there's all kinds of like meeting, you know, platforms now online and all that. I mean, so yeah, there's, there's a lot, you know, like uh, there's kind of WebEx, Skype, different setups where at times, um, given that the area I support geographically has a heavy focus on New England, New York, and New Jersey. So it's kind of a broad spread of where people are. So especially like in a sales culture for say, you know, a lot of the sales folks are out um, trying to get new accounts. They're traveling a bit or, you know, say the times I go in the office, like if I go into Manhattan, uh, you know, not more than say half the team, actually less than that, will be physically there because they're in Jersey or they're just outside the office. So people will kind of join some of these calls from various different locations, but there may be screen sharing that shows here's a presentation that's like a PowerPoint presentation with different slides that drive a discussion. It may just be a call in where uh, different people call in, but then whatever the agenda is or the topic and people kind of chime in and have a discussion. Um, but a lot of those folks are geographically spread out. So even though I used to kind of align to the, the home office being in Hartford, Connecticut, I can go there. I was actually physically there today um, and see people in person. You're still on the phone even when you're there, they're elsewhere. So it's, it's a mix of kind of who's in the room. But once a month at a minimum, we have a meeting for the leadership team. It's kind of a cross-functional meeting. So the senior folks from the various areas represented and they try to you know, come in for a two-hour meeting in a particular office, typically in, in you know either Manhattan or northern New Jersey, and at least one day a month, kind of everyone's in the same place. Uh, so there's more interaction there. Do you actually uh, sort of the the joke, you know, I guess in corporate culture and whatnot, is that people love to have meetings. And I mean, do, do you find that these meetings are productive? Are they a valuable way to spend time? Or I mean, I've heard kind of the gamut. I mean, people, I've heard people say it's just, you know, people like to hear themselves talk and not a whole lot gets accomplished. I don't know what the flavor it, is. It varies pretty widely. I'd say there are some people that are pretty precise in what they're trying to accomplish, get it done, move on. If it's an hour-long meeting but it takes 12 minutes, good. You know, and then there's – and some of it is kind of a half-assing. Oh, I'm going to give you back 48 minutes. And it's just kind of like this old line about how many minutes you're – you're giving people back, you know, as they close out a meeting early. But um, other folks, yeah, it'll just be a recurring meeting that's like weekly or bi-weekly, and it's just too much. It, it goes on in perpetuity. The the measurable progress is slim to none, and it, it's just kind of. But eventually, some of those meetings, depending on some of those meetings, tend to invite the the largest number of people. They go on in kind of in perpetuity, meaning like that same meeting is held every two weeks. And eventually people just stop showing up. I mean, they may even indicate they've accepted the meeting, they're going to come. And then the meeting just dwindles because it's just a time suck, really. Yeah, I, a friend um, of mine, and Tony's, and you know him, uh, Tom, guy from Maine, he was talking about uh, where he used to work. And he said they would have a meeting and there would be like, you know, it, he was talking about one guy in particular and it'd be like, 
you know, they'd set this agenda, da da da, this and that. And then they'd come back for the meeting in two weeks, and nothing had been accomplished. It was just like right. there was sort of no idea that once we leave this meeting, we're actually supposed to go carry out the items on this agenda. It was just like, oh, it all sounds good on paper and everything, and then nothing ever moved forward. Yeah, that was that definitely is the case a lot of times because you know I tend to do that even when I'm wrapping up a meeting, whether I'm meeting it or not, saying okay, who. You know, the various items identified, quote-unquote takeaways, who's doing this, who's doing that, when can we expect an update? Because otherwise, the next, next meeting on the same topic, and yeah, you're just it's like Groundhog Day. You just have the same conversation. Or there are some people that are clearly not actually driving anything along, but they try to get by by rehashing the same thing, and then some people will call them out and say, like, we, we already all know that. That's not like, – that. We, we covered that twice already in the past month. Where's the, you know, where's the demonstrable progress? See, I, I'm one of the rehashers. I, um, uh, John and I, the other guy who does this podcast, we're going to have like a master class and, uh, mine is looking active in meetings. One, one of my classes I'll teach, uh, looking active in meetings when you don't actually have any idea what's going on. It's oh, a, I've got that down to a science. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real skill. It's a real yeah, skill. It's kind, of a, yeah, it's kind of a leading question or, you know, oh, well, you know. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, people just kind of keep talking. <laughs> it is what it is. That's what I'm throwing out there. <laughs> it's like not really a contribution, but it's enough to just kind of like, okay, yep, yeah, you're present and you've spoken. And then, uh, yep, yeah, someone else just keeps coming. Yeah, or not. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, first of all, I always show up with a legal pad and a pen because that looks like you're into it. You know, like you're yeah. actively taking you're notes. Right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're eagerly just being some note taking. Yes. And then you wait until it's a little bit of a game, a little bit of a gamble, but you, you kind of wait it out. You wait for like Lisa and Tyler to throw, and then you, you piggyback on that. And then you, you know, you, there's an art to it. I mean, people think this is all natural. It's not. I, I've worked on it for many yeah, years. Sure. You know, like actively it. listening nodding i like what tyler said about blah 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 and then you know you can really roll with it yeah well it's an interesting mix too because you know in some of the meetings i'm in if i'm physically there people have their laptops in front of them so then you want to be engaged in the meeting but then you, you could sort of type and almost be taking notes but then it becomes readily apparent when you are just like sending emails to somebody else and you're you're zero engagement so there's that sweet spot of participating in the meeting sort of nodding talking but then maybe conceivably taking notes but also you're not just head down clearly just doing other work and having to be sitting in a room with people you're not even you know talking to or in my case you're watching those videos of like the the zookeeper wrestling with the baby elephant because i love those <laughs> <laughs> i have to keep from chuckling <laughs> but yeah i do uh I, sometimes i am one of those guys who takes notes whatever then i shut the notebook and honestly i I couldn't really tell you what happened. I don't really know, and I don't follow up on anything. So, you know. I, I remember that with even one of uh, one of the folks that used to work for me. Oh, back at the life insurance company, and he was a real nice guy, well-intentioned, hardworking guy. But uh, so, you know, we were in a meeting with my boss. So it was like his boss's boss, and then <laughs> I guess his takeaway. Um, I'll change your name for the sake of changing your name. Call her name, Jed. So we come out of the meeting. He's got the same thing, legal pad, notes. He's written in all caps. And in the meeting, we talked about a few different things. 
He's trying to make sure that he, he, you know, did what he was supposed to do. And then he leaves his notepad at his desk, you know. And then I happen to walk by his desk a few minutes later. And all it says is, F you, Janet, on there. <laughs> huge, huge letters. Huge letters. <laughs> and so I said to him, again, I'll change his name. I said, Mike. Mike, what, what, what is, what's that all about? He's like, what? Those are my notes for the meeting. I'm like, you, Jared? And he goes, yeah. He, I don't know if you were paying attention, but I'm supposed to follow up with her about that later. And I'm like, that, that is not at all what I would see after you, Janet. And he goes, that's my reminder to follow up with Janet later about the topic we talked about. So I'm like, you should probably tear up that page and just start with a fresh page on your notepad because that's just sitting on the corner of his desk in, in like 100 point font if you were to print it off. <laughs> Probably th- of it. He's like, oh, oh, I'd like to see how that might, yeah, someone might take that differently. I'm like, I'm pretty sure 90 plus percent of the population would take it as I took it. That our boss is boss. You're basically writing a sign that says F you. There is no other way to take that. No, no right. Even if, <laughs> even if, like, if I didn't know him as well as I did, he's kind of an innocent, like, positive guy. I'd be like, really? You're like, you're not, you're not selling me on this. <laughs> he was the same guy, too, who that boss we had. Again, calling Janet, he he said to me one because she was not good to work for, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Mm-hmm. And one day, you and I came out of a meeting with him and then with her, and so I was just frustrated because it didn't, you know, it was just you like banging your head against the wall working for. And I said, I just, I, this is brutal. I cannot work hard anymore. And he goes, you know, you know, Matt. I, I thought to myself, she's hard to work with, but maybe she's got, maybe she's got like a legitimate issue. That, that limits her ability to contribute to society, and this is the best she can do, and we should be proud of her. <laughs> like, if anyone else I'd ever even known in my life, probably, honestly, said that, I'd be like, wow, that is, that is brutal. But for, for him, it was a positive spin on her complete ineptitude. It was that maybe this is the best she can do, and we should be proud of her. He wasn't he, a fully functioning adult that was just really bad at her job. Like, there was no other, there was no actual legitimate issue. It was just, she was just not bright or capable. And she was your superior. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which was vexing in itself. But I mean, I, you know, I got I got transferred over there when that company was in in, in a tough situation. They, they it was it was a kind of a corporate mix of saying we're going to be letting a lot of people go because we have to scale back and we want you to take over this team over here because we're letting your peer go and all sort of stuff. So at that point, it was kind of a survival thing. It wasn't interesting work, but I was at least kind of behind the curtain going, okay, I know what the future, what the days will bring here as people get let go. Because obviously if I'm taking on the other team, then then I'm going to survive. But uh, so, uh, you know, I kind of toughed it out for, for lack of a better option for a time, but then moved on when, when there were more opportunities. But yeah, so it was horrible to, to work in that setting. And he was a hardworking guy, really well-meaning, but I just couldn't believe, yeah, he, he felt like that was his, his way of looking at it. And he meant that in all earnestness. Oh, really, too? Because I thought if anyone else said that, it would be just, you know, like if my brother said it, I'd be like, that is just, just, just withering criticism of someone. Yeah. You know, and, and he's been as that, like, yeah, so let's, let's, you know, let's buck her up. She's, she's doing what she can. Yeah, but I mean, you might say that about, like, not to be an a-hole about it, but the person who's, like, emptying the waste baskets yeah, or completely. something, <laughs> you know? Like, in this case, his boss is boss. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's amazing, though. You know, my brother uh, works for the federal government, and so does my sister-in-law. 
for many years now. And they just said over the years, it's amazing the people who get into positions of authority who are utterly incompetent. Right, right. Oh, yeah. And I think she'd put enough time, done whatever. And then one of the guys that, I, that was also on that team that had been there a long time was kind of just, you know, riding things out till retirement. He had apparently hired her into the company, I don't know, 15 years prior or whatever. We used to joke around. Uh, we were bringing a DeLorean and put it to 88 miles an hour so he'd go back and fix all the mistakes he'd made in his life <laughs> to, 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 to unhire her so that he'd create this future and we'd be in an alternate world where she was not our boss. You know, 1.21 gigawatts and all that. And Because I said, he goes, well, I never thought when I hired her that I would ultimately work for her. He goes, I never fathomed that it would play out that way. But Wait. as they shuffled more and more people around, I think her deficiencies were pretty glaring because you know, I'd move into a different area and say, okay, I'll figure this out. I'll, I'll get it up and running. I'll manage this team. And then I'm kind of out on my own terms. But then she was not really effective or adept at managing or doing much of anything. So it was the more they kind of were shuffling teams around out of necessity, they kind of say, what does she contribute? Or, you know, she's not a good manager. She does not a good individual contributor. But she would have a new boss who would kind of go, okay, I'm not sure what the value is here. So that kind of, I think, came undone after a while. But it went on for a long time. So wait, the, the guy who hired her, she ended up becoming his superior? Yeah, over many, many years. I think he had kind of taken his foot off the gas pedal. We're talking in the hierarchy of things. You know, she was like a director. So she, you know, and then and there's a, there are a lot of different layers um, in that kind of corporate setting. But, you know, the director, there's assistant director below that, maybe like a manager, assistant manager, you know, senior consultant, consultant, kind of going down the spectrum to the, to the you know, the earlier career options. But then... He had been at whatever level he was in, say he was an assistant director, and then just was kind of hanging back saying, I need to work three more years till retirement. And somewhere along the way, yeah, she had sort of ascended to director, and then he had gotten slotted under her when they kept shuffling these departments. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was a real kind of mix where he didn't begrudge it because he was just trying to coax to retirement and get his pension. Um, but it was just a weird, yeah, I was shocked when I kind of, became aware of her of like how is how is she even in this position at all? Again, she wasn't, you know, in charge of, of, of this vast swath of the company, but it was still just kind of perplexing. Yeah, and like corporate culture, at least the the perception from the outside, it's supposed to weed out. I mean it's supposed to be like Darwinism at its, you know, finest. Like it yeah. but I don't know. I guess that th yeah, there's I a I never kinda of, I don't think I've said that before or since. And he seemed fine with it, but I was just like, because that was when I stumbled across that little tidbit that he had actually hired her into the company all years prior. I said, how did that come to be? Yeah. Well, I guess if she, someone like her, hits that kind of perfect storm, this guy's leaving, he yeah. doesn't care. Other people are very new and they don't really know. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But you can only play that shell game for so long, I guess. I mean, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Some people play it indefinitely, I suppose. They just know how to work the system. I, they have a certain kind of intelligence. Right, right, right. They're, they must navigate something well enough to get by, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though. because Well, there was this uh, book that came out. It just sort of reminded me, you talking about her, uh, called Bullshit Jobs. And it's about how in all these companies, you have so many jobs in, like, a range of maybe sixty to a hundred thousand dollars a year that are, are kinda very redundant. I shouldn't say kind of, they are redundant and they, they don't really produce anything. Probably at these sort of 
management vice president-ish kind of layer. It's almost like a thermodynamic layer that exists. And they don't really do much of anything. You can sort of hide in there and, you know, they email, whatever, phone calls. But it just sort of exists, you know. And I guess that's... My theory is people need some place to go. Otherwise, they'd be wandering around in the streets. So That's true. That's true. We have to have a home somewhere. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they got to... Like, should be members of society, but they're there. Yeah, they're there somewhere doing something, I guess. Yeah. And they, you know, pay taxes and they go out to restaurants yeah. and <laughs> things like right. that. So, you know, they buy cars and... Like, so, yeah, there's something, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. They, yeah. You know, they, they like things and do something, presumably. Yeah. It's sort of like an ether. They exist in this ether. Right, right. right. Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, like yeah. The, like the guy in office space is like, you know, he, he brings the file from one department to the other because they don't get along. Someone's going to do that. They don't get along. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I kind of, there's a guy who comes uh, sometimes to fix the copier machine and I, I see him and I'm like, he has a very specific job. He fix, fixes the copier machine. That's it. That's what he does. Yeah, the very binary existence. This is what I do. Yeah. If, if it doesn't break, it does not need to be fixed. Maybe I fix the toner. But aside from that, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And he has all these tools out that are... Do you ever read the book Catch-22? A long time ago, but yes. Yeah. There was a scene where this guy works on these little little machines and he drives the protagonist crazy. And th this guy, he must have a hundred tools laid out. and They're all tiny. These tiny little instruments. And he gets in there and he's fixing it and everything. He fascinates me. I'm like, wow, what a, <laughs> what a job. <laughs> That's, I just think he doesn't have to deal with anybody and that, none of that. Right. Just something does that by leaves. And then that's that I get, I guess. And he's the man because if the copying machine's broken, we're, I mean, I'm right, admired. Right. Yeah. Absent his involvement. Yeah. There's a, yeah. I was at a loss. Yeah. And, and everybody loves him when he, Oh, the copier's fixed. Oh my God. Like this guy's Yoda. Like he just, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah. You have a skill set that is highly valued in, in that realm. Yeah. But the, outside of that, who knows? Yeah. It's, yeah. Who knows what the rest of that life consists of? I don't know. I don't need to know. <laughs> I don't I, want to I, know. Like, <laughs> in that, that, that intersection of life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've hit 45 minutes here just about. Um, well, this is a great chat. Uh, and I, I'd like to do it again. I, I feel like there's a lot here I haven't quite delved into yet. Uh, so we'll certainly sure. delve into it. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for talking to us, Matt. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.